0: Welcome, everyone. It's the Bloods of Old podcast. Joel Brand, your host here. Hopefully, you have subscribed either via Spotify, Google Podcast, and iTunes. Uh, hey, while you're on iTunes, make sure to give us a five star review. Greatly appreciate it, just like Plugger741 did. Boy, oh, wowee, what a great interview. Love listening to the Bloods of Old podcast and can't wait for more great guests in the future. Yeah, uh, Plugger741 there. Very much channelling his inner BT there. Brian Taylor, of course, that's uh, great stuff there. Keep them coming. Absolutely love them. And if you want to connect with the show, of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at Bloods of Old. And how we been uh, faring uh, in the off-season? I'll tell you what, uh, the trade week, or the trade weeks, uh, that's officially done and dusted. Sad to see Ali Ali go. Uh, that did make room uh, for us to get Tom Hickey from West Coast. But uh, yeah, sad to see Ali go, but uh, wish him all the best in the future. It, Like I said, sort of made us uh, have room or gave us the picks. Or I mean, you have to be a mathematician to sort of figure out how the draft system and how the bloody trades and picks work. I have no idea. Luckily, I'm not in charge, I'll tell you that. But... Sad to see Ali go, we get Tom Hickey, and we've had a history of recruiting uh, West Coast big men slash ruckmen. Jason Ball comes to mind, who was part of the 2005 Premiership team, which is a great segue for the main event of today's show. Paul Bevan, 2005 Premiership player, the 2004 Sydney Swans rising star. And let's not waste any more time, let's get straight into the interview. Way on advantage, Dodd, takes them on with a bounce.
1: Gets the kick away, peak, inside 50. Big mark over the top, Bevan. He's done that three three times tonight, going back with the fly of the ball, Paul Bevan. That is fantastic courage.
0: Game saving. Amazing mark, maybe
1: a season saving mark. Doyle over the top.
0: Stolen by Bevan. Sydney get the break, Sydney get the lead. Bevan's kicked it. The Swans are in front. To
1: snatch this game, Marston goes for territory. Oh, what a fine mark! Bevan it is, backing back into the jaws of whatever might be coming. white they're Jack the left-footer, but he
0: goes towards Bevan. Bevan's kicked two goals in the opening half. That oh, hurts. he's kicked three. That hurts. Nine years with the Sydney Swans from 2003 to 2011. Sydney's 2004 rising star with 129 senior games, 39 goals and a member of the historic 2005 premiership which ended the Swans' 72-year drought. It is a big hello and welcome to Paul Bevan. Thanks Joel, glad to be here. A lot of fans want to know what has Paul Bevan been up to? I mean, I know after your time with the Swans you Spent a bit of time in WA and The Waffle, and then back to New South Wales, and now you find yourself in Queensland? Yeah, I've
1: uh, there's only a couple of states I haven't lived in, but um, yeah, I'm in Queensland. I've been in, uh, I'm actually on the Sunshine Coast. We've purchased a place four years ago in, in Budrum, and yeah, we've got a growing family. We're, we're done, but we've got three little girls, and more, yeah, my wife, Hayley. Yeah, we're all centered on the sunny coast. Yeah, we love it. And uh, a bit of a traveling salesman at the moment. Yeah, I'm in the, the medical industry, so with ph- a German pharmaceutical company, yeah, promoting for a, a cardiovascular drug. So, yeah, dealing with general practitioners, neurologists, cardiologists, yeah, in hospital settings and, and GPs. And how'd you find yourself getting into that? Yeah, since, a uh, good question, you know, since finishing up. Uh, my time playing, uh, no real sort of life skills, I was a little bit unsure what I I wanted to do and as you mentioned, spent some time over in WA and played with the Perth Football Club and they managed to um, have a a pretty strong connection with a um, a materials handling equipment company, Heister, uh, it's a well-known brand. Yeah, so I was in a sales role, coincided with playing in, in the waffle and got a taste of sales that way and the lure to come back home was strong when Hayley um felt pregnant I was looking for a, a transfer in the same industry but didn't happen to be but I ended up landing a job with Coca-Cola just uh, FMCG so it's fast moving once again in that sales position just made a decision that yeah we weren't really settling as much as we'd like in Sydney so yeah put the feelers out and yeah I didn't really know about the medical well, pharmaceutical industry previously, but I, uh, I put my hand up for a position and I think they were really lured to the sporting backgrounds that I had and there's a lot of complementing skill sets, I suppose. So, yeah, it just went through a long process through the interview process and managed to land the, the job. And as I said, I've been here four years and it's, it's a really, it's a family, I um, know it's a big company, but it's family-owned, so um, it's not like some other pharmaceutical companies where there's a big turnover of personnel it's pretty stable so I feel pretty uh, pretty settled in the position I am at the moment.
0: That's great to hear and I guess sort of you, you talk about sort of lacking potentially some life skills but obviously AFL and transferable skills that are there I guess one thing that uh, some footy players struggle with is I guess life after football how did you find that initial transition from playing AFL to getting back into the workforce? Bloody tough. <laughs> yeah, so as I said, I work for a um, materials handling, so I was doing
1: full-time big hours working as well as Waffle, which is semi-professional. So, yeah, three nights a week of training and obviously your Saturday playing. So it was a big, a big adjustment for myself. I suppose just getting the mind to, yeah, you had to be on all day, obviously, in the position that I was in and, Um, There was no real downtime, which AFL players have got the luxury of. They train hard, but they've also got a lot of downtime as well. But, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle. But, ultimately, I'm preferring life after football more. Um, Obviously, lots change. I've got a young family and those sort of things. But, yeah, I'm more stimulated working in a full-time position. And,
0: yeah. Again, you come from great pedigree. Uh, you're you're the nephew of rugby league legend Brian Bevan. Uh, Uncle Brian, he's the uh, greatest rugby league try scorer of all time. I think he scored about 834 tries uh, during his 20-year career. I guess when you were sort of younger, playing lots of different sports, was there were you pretty close to instead of playing AFL, playing rugby league? Yeah, well, that's an interesting
1: question. I was born on the Central Coast. Spent my early years. God's up was spend three Yes, I oh, know that's yeah, your <laughs> stamping ground. Yeah, so I, I I was born there lived there till I was three, but mum and dad split up and we moved down to uh, Albury-Wodonga area where AFL is pretty much the only sport down there. So, I mean, it was just natural that I, I played primary school, played AFL. Um, we decided to move, I did primary school, I moved back to the Central Coast when I was, um, commencing high school, and yeah, it was AFL wasn't offered at school level, so played league and union at Eddie's. I reckon if I would have stayed on the coast, I don't know, you know, who knows, but yeah, I would have, um, yeah, obviously, surfing and all those other things that the coast are big for, but I reckon I would have, yeah. Put, Put everything into the, the league, perhaps, but yeah, I do have a strong rugby league pedigree. Um, dad boasts about his career, he gets better every time I ask him, but dad had a, um, a stint as well. And yeah, my pop as well, who's passed away, but he, he played some games with St. George as well, and, and the um, East Saw Roosters as well. So yeah, very much rugby league.
0: Were they a little bit disappointed when you uh, went uh, full tilt with the Aussie rules? No, no, nah,
1: I'm, I'm fortunate they're, uh, they're pretty supportive. Dad's still got no idea about AFL, even though he's, uh, <laughs> he's been to a million games. But he's just, yeah, <laughs> no, not disappointed. No, not, not at all. I, I'd, I'd slowly convince them that it was the better game. My nan's um, still alive. She's a tragic for any sport. She was mad swans during my days and, yeah, convinced her to... Um, yeah, if it was two good games on TV, she'd definitely watch the AFL over the league. I'm not so sure now.
0: I remember the likes of uh, Dermot Brereton when uh, uh, Footy was on Channel 9 at the time, and he would always sort of comment about your fearlessness uh, attack on the ball. I think that's one of the comments that John Longmire sort of uh, had uh, when interviewed uh, at the end of your career at the Swans. I guess, how did, I, I know it's sort a skill that you necessarily learned, but. What was it that you were just sort of at times reckless not to other towards other people but almost sort of endangering yourself with some of the uh the ways you'd get the ball Is it something you learned through rugby league or just something that you just it just came natural not sure about that yeah um
1: um yeah, there was some footage you'd always watch your footage after a game and just yeah you know, critique how you performed and yeah, there was some silly acts definitely, not so much rugby league but just. I knew what I could offer the team and, you know, we've all got our strengths and weaknesses and, yeah, it's a confidence thing. You know, if you you go for a mark and you get a couple of knocks and you think, oh, it's not too bad, then you can leverage a little bit off that. So, I don't know. I I, I played a little bit like that when I was probably not as reckless during my early days. But, yeah, there's obviously times where you come off second best and... (laughs) You think, I'm going to learn from that. But just <laughs> I, I, I definitely had a um, a streak of white line fever, like I'd quiet as a mouse during the week. But as soon as I'd crossed that white line, or even at training, I'd get a little bit stupid, I suppose.
0: Because I was going to say, I mean, was it that, that old mentality? Because I remember sort of playing junior footy and always told you, if you're first at the ball or if you attack the ball, you'll kind of be looked after, whether it be by the umpire or just... The the way the game is played is that sort of mentality as well potentially. Yeah, a little bit of that, a little bit
1: of that. But um, it's not all. It's not a, a, a. It doesn't always work that way, unfortunately. And yeah, I've had some a couple of the nasty uh, injuries doing that. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, overall, yeah. If you're going harder, you generally come out better if you've got um, that mindset. But yeah, hindsight, if I'd Played the game, and yeah. I probably wouldn't have put myself in some of those stupid
0: positions. Well, that's, that's, sure. that's the question I was going to ask now. Having kids and all that sort of thing—if you are playing now, it'd probably be a different story.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I've
0: got I've got three little girls,
1: and they're um, they're very much little princesses. I can't see them picking up a football, even though I'm um, putting a lot of time into them. But yeah, they're um, yeah, I can imagine if I had a boy and. Yeah, you know, sort of coaching through the juniors, so I'd be a little bit more strict on what he should be doing and that
0: sort of things. yeah. Not even an AFLW on the horizon? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm,
1: I'm just going to let them organically choose what they want to choose. But, yeah. yeah, they're loving, like, they do dancing, gymnastics, and I suppose it's a bit too early to judge what they're probably going to lean towards. But, yeah, who knows?
0: Um, we mentioned rugby league a bit earlier. Uh, another person at the Swans who had uh, great rugby league pedigree, I guess you could say, was Kieran Jack. He's dad, uh, Gary Jack. Did you guys got a bond over over that, having, you know, a family uh, that were, you know, great uh, great athletes in a different code? Yeah, I think so. And he was a Sydney boy as well. So it
1: was the Swans generally had, you were either from born and bred Sydney. There was a big Adelaide connection. And yeah, predominantly Melbourne, of course, but yeah, the Sydney side is we stuck pretty close together. And Kizza was a a West Tigers fan, which I am too, so it was funny. Not many of the boys knew much about rugby league, Um, so when State of Origin came, they'd always make sure they wore the Queensland Guernsey just to annoy Kizza and myself, but uh, and that was during the successful days so we didn't really have much of a a leg to stand on, but yeah, Kizer. It's 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 just you know during the training drills, etc. You know, Kizer and I would always be, um, you know, in terms of uh, tackle execution, we'd always have that covered because of our um, upbringing, for playing league, and those sort of things. So it's it's funny, yeah, just just how the Sydney side is
0: generally brought up playing those sports, so they,
1: that skill comes easy to them.
0: I'm thinking COVID probably uh, threw a bit of a monkey wrench uh, in any celebrations, but it is the 15-year anniversary of the 2005 uh, flag with the Swans. Um, you talk about Kieran there. Do you sort of still keep in touch uh, with any of your premiership teammates?
1: Yeah, we've, we've got a WhatsApp group that there's a lot of banner that gets thrown around and that sort of thing. It's unfortunate that the 15 years fell this year, but uh, I'm sure we'll make it up. In five years time and we also obviously had the 10 year five years ago but yeah it was it, it's funny we probably don't talk as much aside from the the whatsapp messages but when you get in a room with everyone it's like you haven't you know, left so yeah we, we're still big kids at heart you know we always love to muck around and have a laugh and have a beer and those sort of things but it's funny when you're out of the system, you've you, sort of your circles of friends change and those sort of things. And, you know, we've got kids now and that sort of thing. But yeah, I suppose the WhatsApp group has been a, a good move just in terms of you know, getting an idea of what's everyone, what everyone's up to and those sort of things.
0: Who talks the most smack on the uh, WhatsApp? Oh, <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> Jude's, Jude's got reasonable chat. Tigers always
0: throwing out a bit of bit of smack. Yeah, everyone everyone chimes in. But we well, are talking about uh, Central Coast. You spent some time there, obviously, uh, St. Eddie's High School. Mm. Uh, another uh, great swan that came from the Central Coast, Jared McVay, who would go on, obviously, to have 300-plus games, captain the, the side, 2012 Premiership player. I remember he was the number one draft pick, I believe, I think, in 2003, and I think the there's always that sort of big potential and hype around a player that's picked up uh, early on and obviously been a local boy. But I remember 2004 as a, as a fan just sort of sitting behind the barricade that if you were to compare your 2004 to Jared McVeigh, I mean, you won the, pretty sure you won the 2004 uh, Rising Star. I mean, uh, was there any sort of competitiveness being both from Central Coast and Sydney boys? or I mean, because you guys are pretty good mates, I'd imagine. Yeah, Macca and I are good mates.
1: Um, you've talked me up slightly. I was—I um, <laughs> think I finished. Oh, I was, for the Swans, I'd finished. Yeah, for the rising star, not overall in the, the competition, but
0: yeah. We were, we were, you
1: know, Mac is a—he went number three, I believe, in two thousand and three. Yeah, so he was a junior that always was highly regarded and highly skillful. He probably took a little bit longer to adapt I suppose I don't know if it had a little bit to do with I started off as a rookie listed player so I was only on a one-year contract initially so yeah I, I suppose for me I was never guaranteed to you know I was, you know, in terms of length I was going to stay at Sydney so I was, I was probably a little bit more not determined but I was yeah like wanting that time at Sydney and it was pretty evident the way I trained and presented myself in the preseason of the second year, I suppose. Macka was generally he was naturally fit, those sort of things, and obviously he's a far greater player than I was ever was. But it probably took him a year or two to adjust to the the full time AFL uh, lifestyle.
0: Well, I mean, your second year in you're, you're a premiership player. I mean, uh, that's I mean some I mean some players play the whole life and never win a premiership. Mm. I guess you, you get delisted at the end of 2011 from the Swans. I mean, do you ever have a bit of a sliding doors moment? You know, maybe if I did this or did that or I was still on the side in 2012, I could be a, a two-time premiership player. I mean, is that, does that sort of play in your mind or not so much? No, no, it doesn't actually.
1: I, I, got, I got the most out of myself, I, I believe, and I don't. I actually haven't sat back and I suppose the only regret I would have during my time is I put probably too much weight on pleasing people and, you know, not sort of speaking up when I, you know, that that comes with confidence, I suppose, which I do have now. But back in the day, I suppose, just, you know, in team meetings, I was always that reserved, quiet one. So, yeah, maybe, you know, if any regrets would be just just speaking up a little bit for my for myself and you know, contributing in that that area which was always asked upon me. Yeah, you know, we'd have some pretty brutal honesty sessions and those sort of things and it was always around the voice and back yourself in. It was probably tiring for everyone to continually bring those things up. But yeah, no regrets. I towards the end I was ready to to finish up, even though I was delisted, that wasn't my choice, but I was yeah, you know, I was I was happy to, to move on.
0: Well, you mentioned that because I know uh, I think it was the year before you you requested a trade or wanted to see you wanted to test the waters to be traded or whatnot, and it was that on the back of I guess the elimination uh, final against Carlton. You played well, you kicked three goals, and then obviously you, you dropped the uh, following week, bit stiff I think. But I mean, we've seen in the past. I think Ted Richards' brother uh, Xavier Richards he requested a trade back to Victoria didn't eventuate and then kind of found himself on the outer and basically not playing AFL. Do you think it's a similar story for yourself? No, not at all. um, Yeah, you're right. I did.
1: I put my hand up. Obviously, when you're in that system, you want to be playing week in, week out. And I believe I might have been on like a a match performance type contract. So when you're not playing, you don't get paid as much. So hence the reason why... just you know, no ill feelings towards the Swans at all. It was just like, just realistic about my opportunities. If I wasn't playing after a performance like that, then am I better off playing at a different club? So it was just you know, purely a you know, seeking what was out there type scenario. And that didn't eventuate. And turned up to pre season the following year, and you know, there was no awkwardness or anything. you know, had a good conversation with. John Longwire, who was the coach. Yeah, and he was... Yeah, I don't think that was any reason to uh, for me to then move on the following year.
0: Because we've seen uh, recently with uh, Tom Papley, you know, he wanted to go back to Victoria. He came <laughs> back and said he kind of had mm. to re- re-win the, the trust of the, the, the playing group. So it wasn't so much like that for you? No,
1: nah, not at all. <laughs> I wasn't a high-profile player. I was just a, a, a player that... Yeah, you know, played his role. Just looking to play to, you know, seeing if there was an opportunity elsewhere. That's all. There was no ill feeling. I was, I was pretty respectful of everyone. I think I was, um, yeah, I didn't have any bad blood with anyone. So no, it was, it was fine. It was, yeah. I suppose it was different back then. There was no free agency and those sort of things. It was, yeah, I think, trades during those days, you might have had three or four that executed during the, the trade period. So it was highly unlikely that it would have um, come off.
0: If it was to, I mean, it's just hypothetical, of course, where would have a, a good destination, in your opinion, would have been?
1: Yeah, so there was two scenarios. So, yeah, it was the first one where I'd, yeah, I was still contracted. I, I believe that you know, Carlton would... One of the teams were having some conversation. I don't know how far into it they got, but yeah, I suppose I suppose Carlton was was one, and then the other scenario is when I got delisted, I was actually um, chatting to GWS and got down to I think I was chatting to myself and two others for one position. So we got fairly close to actually when I finished up at Sydney to, to transferring over to GWS before they when they first started in the competition, but yeah, that that fell through. So yeah, it's a hard one to answer. Um, yeah, just, just a club that was looking for someone that would play a role and could swing both ends of the ground.
0: Uh, as we record this, it's currently trade week. Uh, a lot of players are finding new homes. Some players not so lucky to find new homes, basically being told their uh, their services aren't required. What would be the advice that you would pass on to these guys? If, if that, that fell through? Yeah, if they get delisted. Oh, uh, delisted. I
1: would say get good feedback on your exit review from, you, from your coaches. Ensure why you were delisted exactly. And no doubt they'll be getting phone calls from second-tier competitions like Waffle and you know, the VFL and the Sandfall. Just don't make a decision straight away. Just sit back and weigh up what do you want to do because football's not everything, uh, which... It's hard to, to to think that while you're in the moment. But, yeah, I suppose to sit back and, and decide what do you want to do. Is it is it football? If it is football, don't be afraid to then go play in, in those second-tier competitions and dominate and do well. And Because you're seeing if you do dominate, clubs aren't scared to pick you up again. It's been, yeah, it's there's a, there's a couple of examples of that. And... You know, your mature age, you're able, you you've proven, and those sort of things. And if you turn up and, and dominate, that shows that you've got um, the right attitude, I suppose. It could be easy just to give up and, you know, just go through the motions a little bit. If you go back determined and show that you have still got
0: what it takes, I think there's still an opportunity. You were lucky to have two brilliant coaches uh, during your time, mostly Paul Ruse, but Paul Ruse and John Longmire both got premiership credentials next to their name. How would you compare the two? Oh, uh, because horse John Longwell works worked so
1: closely with Ruzi that I found them quite similar. Very much open door policy, players drive the behaviours and those sort of things. Uh, I think Ruzi was a little bit more he he'd have a, a very much American influence because his wife Tammy was American and he'd always you know, follow the NBA, the NFL and those sports very closely. And he'd go over there in the off-season. So he'd look to look, pick the from different games and bring it back to our own game. So he always, yeah, he was very obviously defensive and those sort of things. But I suppose that's the big difference is Ruzy had a, um, he was always looking outside the square for ways to, um, Yeah, I suppose to build our brand as a a Swans defensive team. Horse, but yeah, like demeanour-wise, they're very, very similar in that regard. I only got horse for a couple of years at the back end of my career, but yeah, it's a very good relationship. Very much um, didn't feel threatened to go and chat to him about anything. And yeah, he'd he'd back you in if you're playing good footy. He'd, um, He'd ensure you get a
0: game. We hear so much about the Bloods culture that really uh, became a thing, I guess, in from 2003, pretty much around uh, your time with the Swans. When you sort of come into the club, uh, you're on the rookie list, 2003. Is it is it something that you're you taken an aside and has explained to you or is it something that's demonstrated? How, how was it explained to you as a young kid coming into the club? Pretty much
1: day one, they would talk around the Bloods culture and um, what's expected, it's plus, decals are all plus around the, the locker rooms. Everything's structured around the behaviours that we'd set up and the, the, the pillars, you know, we had hard, disciplined, relentless and that was, as I said, plus all over the, the change room. So it was everywhere. Everything was measured against our behaviours and pillars and those sort of things. So uh, and, and out on the track, you'd be hearing the leaders driving those behaviours and ensuring if they... It was, it was see something, do something, say something, pretty much, you know. So it was addressed right there and then. And it didn't matter what um, year or how long you'd been at the club in terms of tenure. You couldn't challenge someone that was going outside of those behaviours. So it was, yeah, I mean, you didn't really have a, a chance to, um, if you didn't live by those behaviours, you'll spat out of the system. That was That happened a lot with very much more talented players than myself that just couldn't buy into those behaviours and they unfortunately didn't last too long in the system. So the quicker you adapt and, as I said, buy in and, and show those behaviours, the more successful and the more, uh, you know, obviously, longer you're going to stay in the system for. So, But, yeah, there was, there was some more vocal leaders like Stuart Maxfield, Kirky and Leo Barry and those types that would always drive that in meetings and at, at training. So, yeah, yeah. It was that was the next tier that was important to drive that as well, and ensuring that the underplays are um, getting the most out of
0: themselves. As a young kid uh, coming into the Swans, were you kind of in awe of any of uh, some of the players there, or I guess sort of uh, you know people you know like your yeah, Adam Goods or you know Barry Halls or players like that? You're like, oh. Well, or, or even, I guess, on the other coin, when you're out in the field and say, if you're marking up against, say, like a Jason Akamanis or someone along those lines, was there ever that kind of oh, wow type of moment?
1: Yeah. <laughs> My first game, we played Brisbane. It was round one, 2004. Brisbane had just won three premierships in a row. And I yeah, had to line up on Craig McRae, probably played 350 games. So, yeah, you're looking around and you're seeing all these players and you're thinking, what am I doing out here? (laughs) Yeah, as I said, I had white line fever. So, yeah, you are intimidated, I suppose, in the pre-match stuff. As soon as you are on the ground, you wanted to hurt them. So (laughs) Um, I I may have come across as I was intimidated a little bit. Yeah, but when I got on the ground, I was, yeah, as I said, I'd I'd be pretty competitive, so I didn't really get too fussed. No, no, that's the same with my teammates. I was um,
0: ready to go to war. As I say, <laughs> you you touched on it there. Round one, two thousand four, Sydney taking on Brisbane in the Lions Den, and it's at the uh, Gabba. Uh, Ty Cannelli he pulls up a bit sore at training. Uh, you get the call up. Uh, can you recall or remember when you got the call from Ruzy?
1: <laughs>
0: it come out of
1: nowhere, mate. To be honest, yeah. So we were doing our uh, you know like a captain's run type thing. Yeah, you know, it might have been a Thursday before a Saturday game, so we're flying out the next morning. Yeah, well, I think it might have been the last... Like, it was the last drill, just a you know, handball drill, plenty of touches, plenty of voice, mucking around a little bit, just trying to get the the mood up. And I remember Stewie Maxfield cleaned up Ty and he went down and, yeah, it was like, oh, shit. No call was made there and then. They were more concerned about Ty and, you know, would he be fit to to play? You know, he showered up, that sort of thing. And I remember getting a call... Later that might have been later afternoon or something, and I was up at East Lake Shopping Centre. I got a call from Ruzi and he said, "How are you feeling? What are you?" Yeah, it was, I can't remember exactly what he said, but when he said, "Are you are you, are you ready to play round one against the Lions?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah absolutely." But it, yeah, I would have. Didn't only surprise me. It would have shocked 90% of the footy club, mate, to be honest. It sort of come out of nowhere. I played pretty well in the um, you know, the pre-season games. And you know, there was a little bit of talk around you know, potentially later in the year. I might have got a taste of it, but never this early. That's for sure. I was, in terms of pecking order, I would have been way down there in terms of who's ready to play probably at the start of that pre-season. But as I said, I'll come back in really good Nick that pre-season and I was running some good times in the time trials and set myself up for a good year probably playing twos to get another contract but yeah as I said played pretty well in the pre-season games and yeah got the support by whoever was making the decision to to play me so it was um
0: yeah, and end up playing every game like you. It was good. Well, that's what I was going to say. You played uh, pretty much uh, every game uh, 2004. Um, I think Jared McVeigh debuted on uh, round one with you there uh, at the uh, at the Gabba there against the Lions. I remember that game. Jason Ball uh, had the chance to, yeah. I think, seal it, and he uh, just missed it, I think. And I remember I was at a friend's party, and, like, they had the Swans on, and I quickly snuck into the living room to, to watch it. And I just remember as a young kid just... Not fearing playing the Brisbane Lions, but you mentioned you know these—they they won the three premierships. They were just big guys. They just beat young teams up because I remember a preseason game. I think they flogged the Swans by about a hundred points. I think Mark Power was like marking uh, Alistair Lynch, and he was just throwing him around like a ragdoll. Um, and and yeah. just it, they were just such a powerhouse. And to sort of come that close—it uh, just really uh, was. Just, it, but it was a good sign, I guess. You're getting closer and closer, and eventually, obviously. Uh, I guess the Swans would come to bigger bodies and would start throwing around their younger guys. But I guess sort of uh, that game, uh, you'd say you have the white line fever, but I guess sort of from there on, do you sort of get much feedback after your first game from your coaches? Like, this is what you need to improve on? Or was it more just constructive criticism, just, you know, keep at it? A bit of both, mate. Yeah, so
1: you'd line up with a... I was a defender predominantly, so... I think Peter Jonas was a defensive coach back then, and he also had a, a role in supporting and fast-tracking development of the younger players. So I was one of those. So it was about just building our confidence. Just, sh- just basically, we're playing because they believe in us. So I was supporting us around, making sure that when we do front up, that we've got that belief as well. So a bit of, you know, obviously you sit down with your coach and go through your game and. What you should have done, and how you should have played that player, and oh, you did well here. Make sure you do that again, type thing. So it was a bit of both, and because I was young, it was just uh, you'd be teed up with a, a leader who was like a mentor as well. So leader Barry would also um, sit down and and would go through, you know, how I could get the most out of myself.
0: Mentioned it before. Great two thousand and four uh, year, nominated for AFL Rising Star. Two questions here. Uh, can you re- remember what round you were nominated? And can you remember who did take out the AFL Rising Star that year? I'm not much of a footy head,
1: but I know that. <laughs> I think it was round. Well, I'm fairly confident it's round four. And Aaron Davey took out. Oh, Jared Rivers took out the the Rising Star.
0: That yeah, was right. Yeah, round four against North Melbourne for yourself. And uh, round before you, round three, Jared Rivers was nominated and obviously would go on to win it. But he didn't have much of a career, though, did he? he I don't think he didn't win a premiership. No, he, uh, <laughs> he
1: did. Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, he's a good fellow. I'm not going to.
0: He, he had a good career. He, um, <laughs> he got the most out of himself. <laughs> obviously uh, grand final 2005 it was an interesting sort of lead up uh, i guess that final series i believe uh, sydney go over to west coast at, over at Subi. another close game uh, less than a kick in it um i believe luke vogels was in but uh, was then replaced for you was as a player is it kind of explains why you're coming into a side and a, a certain players coming out i mean you obviously had a bit more experience but uh, I guess you're a bit more of a utility player. Did they kind of think they, they could utilise you a bit more so than a tall player like Luke Vogels?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think
0: that's the reason
1: because I could sort of swing both ends of the ground, and I wasn't naturally a midfielder, but I could also potentially go down and shut someone down in the midfield if they needed it. So I suppose just having that in their mind, and obviously matchups as well. A lot goes into you know who's suited for a particular opponent. And a lot of hypotheticals. So they would have put a lot of time into that and yeah, made the decision that um, I was probably suited more so
0: in that regard. Grand final day. I mean, uh, what's, what's the locker room like? I guess, Will, one, what, what your perception on what the locker room was like. And how are you traveling going into how I'm about to play in a grand final? Like, was there, I guess, any uh, butterflies? What's going on? <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Well, there's been a few stories that. Yeah, you know, we used to room. You used to have a, a roommate back in the day, in the early years before they made you know the, the smart decision offering us own rooms. But yeah, I'd often be um, the butt of jokes because I'd be up all night tossing and turning and walking up and down the aisles because I'd be thinking about the game and playing it in my head. So yeah, it was. I, I won't say I was relaxed. It was definitely uh, I was anxious and those sort of things. But mate, I. Hand on heart, I can't remember what the locker room was like, but I can only guess that it was a lot of you know, making sure that we were calm and switched on and understanding our roles and all those boring cliché things. But once we get close to warming up and, and running out on the ground, we would have been in the right mindset, that's for sure. But yeah, it, was just a, it wasn't so, wasn't so much the, the day of that I remember. It was the whole build-up to the grand final that was which I remember anyway because Sydney, not a AFL state but or city. Just the training sessions that we had prior that week, I think we filled up half the ground just to watch us train and you know, during the year we might have had half a dozen people there at training. But yeah, just the whole build up was was huge and Melbourne being Melbourne, just getting down there and amongst the, the whole grand final atmosphere was pretty daunting for a young kid coming in. So, yeah, and obviously, the celebrations afterwards are <laughs>
0: a bit of a blur as well. Where whereabouts were you on the ground when uh, Leo Barry Eustace took that uh, match-winning mark? Mate, I was on the pine. It was back in the day. Um, so yeah, I
1: played on Ash Campy for the for the day for the game, but um, I ended up sitting off for whatever reason for that whole last quarter. I remember going up and down the the boundary, looking up, trying to get them to get me on the ground. But it was yeah, back in the day, yeah, when yeah. You, they could sit a player off for an extended period of time, it wasn't like a rotation system. So, yeah, I actually sat on the sat on the pine, so I had a good vantage point
0: of the mark, mate. And when you, when you saw him take the mark, did you sort of, oh, yeah, it's in the bag, or you still thought there was a few more minutes left, or you, you guys had a bit more of an indication on the time? Nah, we had no idea, but I knew it was close. I knew that mark
1: was pivotal, and... It must be like any second now, because I remember, yeah, them launching the ball in and thinking if this hits the ground or someone marks it, we're, yeah, you know, we're done here
0: because hmm. they
1: had they had all the run. So yeah, Leo's mark was was massive. It's uh, phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, and I Yeah, I remember, just, yeah, siren run um, sounding shortly afterwards, and just grabbing everyone I could see in red and white, and just getting around them. It's insane. Does he? Uh, does he still brag about that mark, uh, Leo Barry? Oh, he doesn't need to. It's just plastered <laughs> everywhere. He's the most. He's probably the most humble guy going around. So it's kind of funny when you can just wind him up a little bit when someone's around. You can yeah, stir him up and talk about the mark because he gets a little bit, um, a little bit shy, shy about it. So,
0: so not a uh, la Nick Davis, uh, four goals in the uh, last quarter against Geelong. <laughs> I, I was front row at that game, and I would have to say it's one of the for three quarters. It was one of the worst games I'd ever watched that year. It was just, yes. just bogged yeah. down. Geelong would just seem like they just had full control, then just out of nowhere, those four goals. I had never seen anything like that in my life.
1: Oh, uh, it's incredible. But he's he's a unique character, Davo. You could, um, you know, probably the most highly skilled player I've played with. Yeah, he's, he wasn't suited to the you know the over and the, the meeting setup. He just liked to turn up and play. And, yeah, but yeah, he could yeah. turn it on in you know as he yeah as he did that night. He could just turn it on, and no one could get near him. You know, he's just highly skilled on both sides of the body.
0: Talking about giving myself goosebumps, but I guess uh, you said you can't remember much of the after party on the grand final uh, after winning the premiership. Do you remember anything of uh, the after party or anything after the siren? Um.
1: Yeah, just just bits and pieces come back to me, but yeah, just I think the the most what are, yeah, I'm holding highest regard is just going back to South Melbourne and seeing the old supporters, um, some of the older folk that you know back in the day they will getting around South Melbourne and just seeing the joy on their face when we rocked up and uh, we would have had twenty thousand people there, just absolutely in awe of what we've done. So that was that was a big highlight. just I suppose also the time in the locker rooms after the game with just the players, just having a a drink and letting it all sort of sink
0: in, that's that's memorable too. I think uh, that might have been when uh, Brett Kirk, I think he was interviewed for Channel 7, he had his sunglasses on, obviously everyone was still wearing their jerseys, I think he uh, had a big night, and I think it, it, you can tell, uh, I know he's a very sort of spiritual type of speaker, but he was very uh, spiritual during this interview for Channel 7, it was quite, it was pretty funny.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> ah,
0: yeah, he's a bit wacky. Yeah,
1: it was a week of that, mate. It was a week of wearing sunnies—that's for sure. Um, not much sleep was had that week. That's for sure.
0: And now uh, something that was pretty awesome uh, as well. Uh, you and Jared Crouch. Uh, speaking of uh, Central Coast, you guys uh, brought the cup to Erina, and uh, I think I would have been about fifteen or so. And my nan, sort of similar to you, got me into football and sports. Uh, we we're uh, pretty uh, chuffed to get a photo with the likes of yourself and Jared Crouch and the cup. It was. Uh, Good. it was it sort of kind of cool doing the uh, the tour around New South Wales showing off the cup yeah yeah absolutely I think
1: in as I mentioned earlier just the the lack of interest in AFL and up until that point so just seeing um, yeah being involved you know, I suppose in that moment where Sydney had done so well and you know, now AFL's so big in New South Wales so having a, a role in that is, is special to me as well. And I know for a fact, you know, on the coasts, you know, growing up, going to school there, there's <laughs> you know, just no AFL off it. So I, I think that was a pivotal moment for AFL in New South Wales in general. So it was good to have a, a, a role and a
0: say in you know. that. When you sit on the fence on uh, the Buddy debate, uh, was Buddy, I don't want to say a waste or was it a missed opportunity not winning the premierships with Buddy or did Buddy just be at the club... Did that bring enough, generate money or memberships or whatever you want to uh, call it? Where do you sit on the fence? I think it's been a, a successful
1: move. You know, we're talking about it now. People from New South Wales who didn't know any player in the Swans know about Buddy. So, oh, look, they weren't far off. You know, mm. 20, yeah, it's, um, yeah it's, hindsight's a good thing, but he was definitely best player in the competition at the time and those sort of things. So, yeah, so
0: it's hard to, hard to comment on that. Yeah, he's, I kind of say he's the Tony Lockett of uh, this generation when he sort of came to the Swans and that, but I was actually just thinking about it in my head. Uh, 2012, 2014, they Swans got done by Hawthorne. No, just, they just didn't show up and obviously just getting beat by the Western Bulldogs. Everyone's talking about, uh, you know, the three premierships in a certain span of time and but I guess that's that's football, isn't it? So they got to two grand finals, which is, you know, you got to show up on the day. But um, I thought bringing uh, Lance Buddy Franklin in, good for memberships. It's good for sort of, I guess, the interest around New South Wales. Because like you said, I think uh, New South Wales has come pretty far, but it still kind of needs an attraction, so to speak. That's just my opinion anyway.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree, mate. I tend to agree. So... <laughs>
0: What about, uh, the, everyone talks about the Victorian or the Melbourne fishbowl with players there sort of wanting to get out, go to interstate uh, sides because it's sort of, is, uh, especially I guess like a, a Brisbane or a New South Wales. But going over to WA and playing in the Waffle, I believe you played for uh, Perth FC. Yeah. How, did, how did you, what was the culture like there? Did, was it a bit of a culture shock in regards to how they, how serious they are about their football or did you do not sort of have to worry about that too much? It was yeah, it was a bit of an eye opener. Yeah, they um, even the
1: even the waffle gets a lot of interest over there, and it would be you know a couple of pages in the paper as well on your performance and that sort of jazz. But it's definitely not like it used to be the waffle before the two teams joined the AFL competition. But yeah, I mean, I I can't talk highly enough of the the standard of footy that's over there. So it's warranted. There's some there's some really good players getting around in the waffle that. They're actually, I think, they're better players than some, some of the AFL players, but unfortunately, for whatever reason, they missed their opportunity. But, yeah, they definitely love it. It's, you know, it's a good small talking point you know, when you go for a coffee and, and that sort of thing. And it, and it helped me get a leg in to start off my career in, in sales, stuff for sure. So it's, I'm forever in debt for um, the opportunities I've got over in
0: Perth. And I just realised, uh, are we conducting this interview while? Is State of Origin on tonight or is that tomorrow? It's on, mate. Oh, mate. It's, I completely forgot because right. my next question was going to be AFL State of Origin. Yep. Bring it back or leave it?
1: I think bring it back, but it's got to be, you've got to be all in with it. I wasn't a big fan of their, um, the product they dished up last, or this year, or last year. Was it last year? Last year, wasn't
0: it? I think uh, earlier this year for the fire. It was like the like the, oh, the, yeah. the game, yeah. Yeah, I
1: mean, you've got to go. You know, it's hard because the, the clubs own the players and they don't want to get injured and those sort of things. But mm. spectators, you want to see you want to see players going in and have a crack, not just a circle work match, um, which it was, generally speaking, high scoring. No one really wanted to tackle and that sort of jazz. So if they're going to bring it back, it's got to be all in, I reckon, and...
0: Speaking of which, uh, um, you've been very generous with your sign there, Paul. But uh, one last question before we do wrap up. I've always tried to find uh, funny sledges or so- something funny set out in the ground. Is there anything the Springston miner, uh, whether it be with the Swans or uh, at the local footy, uh, WA or here in uh, the Sydney comps, or, what's the funniest thing? Funniest sledge or whatever you've heard on the ground?
1: Oh, I've heaps. Where do I start? <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not the most olive complexion person, so I've copped a bit of stick about my uh, my tan and those sort of things, but nothing too original. Um, oh, I was two in the moment. I didn't really get caught up in the, the sledging. Oh, actually, I, I lie. When I got older and I went over to WA, because I'd lost a bit of leg speed, <laughs> I'd probably turned into a bit of a um, sledger. <laughs> so I probably dished out more than I got.
0: <laughs> uh, probably a bit too personal to um, to mention on the show, to be honest. Fair enough. And uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep it safe. Uh, Paul Bevan, uh, 129 games to the Swans, 2005 Premiership player, uh, the Swans rising star. I mean, uh, as a kid, it was great watching you play. I appreciate you taking the time to have a chat and catch up. And I'll uh, let you get back uh, to the state of origin. Is it, Have We got a score yet? Have they kicked off yet?
1: Yeah, 10-0. New South Wales are up, mate. So we're... Um, Looks like we've got it covered. So I'm definitely still a New South
0: Welshman, that's for sure. Absolutely. Go the Blues, the New South Wales Blues. But uh, Paul Bevan, uh, all the best and uh, thank you for taking the time. No worries, Joel. Cheers. And that pretty much wraps up Bloods of Old episode four with Paul Bevan. Hit us up on the socials at Bloods of Old. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Always love interacting with fellow Sydney Swan supporters. Perhaps you can uh, suggest uh, who I should reach out to and see if they will be a guest on the show. And please do subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. We'll start reading more of them out on the show. But until next time, up the mighty swans.